This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. City Council yesterday, a lot of stuff to cover with the council. One of the issues, of course, is about uh, the legalization of marijuana. And as we've talked about on this program, both the federal and provincial governments are moving rather rapidly, some would suggest, maybe too rapidly in some people's minds, about the legalization of marijuana. And with that, of course, are all kinds of implications. Where is it going to be sold? How is it going to be regulated? Uh, Who's going to be in charge? Where's the stuff going to come from? And unfortunately, they don't have a whole lot of answers to many of those questions. And as a result, an awful lot of this is falling onto local municipalities to decide just how they're going to do this. And it's kind of hard to do because there are no federal or provincial regulations per se yet. Among those is uh, the controlled growth uh, of marijuana. And uh, I know Ancaster Councilor Lloyd Ferguson has raised this at City Council. It came up again yesterday at the meeting. And uh, Lloyd Ferguson joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Good morning, Lloyd. How are you doing today? Good morning. Bill's a little wet out. Uh, no kidding. No kidding. It's uh, it's all of a sudden acting like October. Uh, who it knew is. that was going to happen? It is, and it, of course now the traffic's plugged solid on 403, so uh, it's a good time to have a chat with you. I think we should expand that highway. That, that's just my idea, though, but you know, we can get into well, that another yeah, we've, time. We've had a conversation on that last week. Yeah, well, hopefully the government's listening. Let, let's talk about the marijuana situation, Lloyd, and, and, and as I mentioned on the show, I'm, I'm feeling a little sympathy for you guys on City Council right now, because an awful lot of this stuff is falling on your laps and on the laps of Hamilton Police Services, you know, you're the chair of that board as well, mm-hmm. and, and you don't quite know what to do because there are no regulations. You've got people calling the city right now saying, we want to start an operation. Uh, some people are selling the stuff downtown. Other people are calling you and saying we're going to start setting up a farm we're going to grow the stuff how do you handle all this well just let's start with the marijuana dispensaries you know we had the um uh, a resolution that came before us at our last council meeting and and uh, the superintendent of investigative services was in attendance and and uh, answered the questions of why are we shutting these down and and there's somewhere around 30 dispensaries now that are operating in the city and the problem is is that uh, in order to go in and shut them down they are generally illegal and uh, because they're selling an illegal product still and but they need a warrant to be able to go in and um, and shut them down. And a warrant is a very complicated document. It takes a lot of time to get it prepared and then get it to the courts and get it approved. Yeah, this is another one of those situations, uh, and I know from your experience in police services, where people see this stuff on TV and they say, oh, you just have to go to a judge and get him to sign something. Yeah, easy peasy. You'll have this done in no oh, time. It's not like that. It may be, it was a few decades ago, but certainly not yeah. now. And so when they when they served this uh, warrant on the operators and, and seized the product and the equipment, and uh, generally within two days, they've reopened somewhere else. And under the current laws, the police have to start all over again, which takes a lot of time. And so we're looking for, as you said in your opening comments, we're looking for the regulations, and the Attorney General has promised them to us to make it easier for police to go in and, and shut these illegal operations down. But until we get those regulations, both federally and provincially, we're operating in a vacuum. Vacuum. And, and and the police are going to continue to uh, do what they can on these illegal operations. A lot of people think it's not necessary. In fact, it's been suggested the courts don't aren't, aren't really interested either because it's going to be um, uh, uh, legalized in July 1st. But until then, our, our police, their job is to enforce the current laws, and that's what they're trying to do. But the latest thing that popped up in the last two weeks, I've had some visits now, and a big part of my ward here in Ancaster is rural and is prime agricultural land. Uh, we just brought another big chunk of uh, prime agricultural land into the green belt here in Ancaster. It's called the Book Road area mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, farmers feed cities, and uh, they need the land to do that. And why are we covering up prime co- uh, agricultural land with the structures when it should be growing corn, soybeans, wheat, or animal food? And, but lately, uh, I've had some visits from some very sophisticated operators. Uh, some are publicly traded, well-funded, looking to build marijuana grow operations to get ahead of the curve for when recreational marijuana does become legalized on July 1st. And these are good entrepreneurs that see an opportunity, and they're going to jump on it. But it struck me that they're looking at the rural areas, and the rural areas are prime agricultural land. And once you put them in these, some of the operators grow the marijuana in what we call bunker buildings, which is you know cinder block buildings with artificial light, and they can grow them around the clock. And we're going to cover our our um, uh, rural lands with these bunker buildings. Or uh, others are looking at using. Um, natural light in big greenhouses and, and one of them wants to put 75 acres under under uh, a greenhouse 
So it struck me, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Experts have said that uh, this whole legalization of marijuana is going to be the same as the, we experienced in the 90s with the dot-com uh, boom. And, and um, you know, agricultural land is, is relatively cheap compared to industrial land, so that's what attracts entrepreneurs to it. And they're making the pitch that whether you're growing marijuana or growing vegetables or other product, you're still growing something, so it's still agriculture. And, and so, hence, a political decision needs to be made. Does the province see the green belt being used to grow marijuana inside buildings? Is that something that they envision? Because they're very proud, as they should be, of the green belt, that we're preserving prime agricultural land. Uh, it's working well. It's got a huge public acceptance. But now we got this problem, well, they're growing this, and is that legalized? And we did, uh, back in 2014, uh, amended our zoning bylaws to allow medical marijuana buildings to go in rural areas to a maximum of 2,000 square meters. Because there's some consequences of, um, of, of putting these in rural areas. They, they'd require a lot of water uh, when they're in buildings and a lot of electricity. And um, the current electrical system doesn't is can't carry that load, so there'd have to be a significant enhancements. Well, and let's let's talk a little bit about that because I can remember back in, in my council days. This is many years ago, and but I know you're familiar with this uh, about a bakery in your area that wanted uh, to expand, and they had to get permission from the council, of course, because of of utilities. You're right, water, hydro, etc., like that. Council, in their wisdom, did pass that, and and the bakery was up and running, but but it was very controversial because there's a limited amount. It's a finite amount of possibilities, like this. Yes. If these guys are allowed to build anywhere they want uh, within the existing situation right now, what's that going to do uh, as far as costs are concerned? Now, I know they're going to come back and say, don't worry, we'll cover the cost of that. But oh, yeah, they'll cover the cost. Uh, you know, that, that's a given. They have to bring their own utilities in. But f- but the principle at risk here is, should we be using prime agricultural land for these buildings to grow marijuana, or should they be used to produce food? I mean, you regularly see the bumper stickers that farmers feed cities, and that's true. And I think that they want to continue to feed cities. Uh, it's going to be tempting to sell out because uh, if they got offered above market price for their land for these marijuana bunkers, then uh, they might be tempted by that. But as a, as a society, is that the right thing to do? Personally, I know, but but, I, but you've heard these comments, Lloyd, and I'm starting to get responses now from some of these people that are advocating on their behalf. And they're saying, "Look at what council stick. Get your nose out of this. That you don't regulate where I can build. Or I can uh, I can br- grow soybeans. Why are you talking about where or not I can do this? This 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 is just, it's a crop. A crop is a crop is a crop. That's their argument on this. It is, and, and it, it's already the lobbying's already started. We got you know Castlebach, a large Toronto firm, had a letter to council last night because somehow they got while well, they got a hold of it because it's public information. The last Friday, my motion that was before council last night, saying you know lobbying us to not go forward with this." So it's going to be a big lobbying effort from this group because they're well-funded, as I said, to be able to grow this in agricultural land. We say it's okay to grow it in the urban area. If there's a brownfield, it's a good use. It's already got a building on it. You know, you, you've got lots of water in the urban area because it's all in public water. There's uh, lots of electricity capacity, but it's not cheap, uh, cheap land. They have to buy this. And... Uh, and, and so the business case says, no, move it to an area that has a lower cost of uh, the initial capital cost in order to wreck these things. And, and so uh, we fully support, through resolution, uh, moving these marijuana grow ops, uh, or their growing facilities, uh, into the urban area inside abandoned industrial lands. In fact, we have one in the Ancaster Industrial Park. It's up and running now. It's growing medical marijuana, fully uh, permitted under our zoning bylaws, and that's what it's being used for. So I just want your listeners to quickly hear what my resolution said last year. Please, all, yeah, please, let's get to that. Yeah, it went through all the whereases about the maximum. We already have provisions in place for small operations in rural areas that we need provincial regulation. Uh, the city's vision is for the rural areas, a vibrant uh, rural economy focusing on food production, and the city encourages marijuana producers to reuse buildings within the urban area. And and so uh, that were all the whereas is leading up. But the resolution reads that planning staff be directed to consult with federal and provincial departments and ministries regarding the regulatory and land use planning framework for marijuana industry, 
B, that staff review and report back to planning committee on the revisions to the economic development strategy, official plan policies, and zoning regulations with respect to medical and recreational marijuana production, distribution, and sales, and that until the review is completed, that the city considers any applications for relief or deviation from the zoning bylaw regulations within the rural area to be premature. So that was my motion that I placed before council last night. And um, uh, Council Whitehead felt it was inappropriate to move ahead on this without um, uh, one of the other rural councillors, or Councillor Pursuta was not in attendance. So this thing was tabled for four weeks to uh, wait till Robert comes back. But it'll be back on our agenda at the first meeting in November. Uh, there's no quick urgency because they're not going to be... Uh, getting any approvals to put up uh, any buildings in the rural area prior to that. That's a long process to go through a rezoning uh, process. Lloyd, how are other jurisdictions handling this? God, there, are, there are other places in North America that have legalized pot. Uh, and Colorado comes to mind, but there are other jurisdictions that have done this as well. Has there been any attempt to reach out and say, how's it going there? What are you guys doing? What are you allowing? No, we haven't had time yet. I mean, it just just came to my attention last week when I had... So is that going to be covered off with your motion if, that, if yeah, council adopts it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, this is not a Hamilton issue. This is a provincial issue, at least, if not a North American or worldwide issue. Yeah, but, but it falls on your lap. It falls on our lap right now, but it, it, it's, a, it's a provincial issue because the Green Belt is a provincial legislation. And, and uh, the province is going to be in charge of distribution, and the federal government's going to be in charge of the regulations. And we need that to know next steps. And my big question to the province is, do you see growing marijuana the same as growing cucumbers in, in, the, in our greenbelt or in our rural areas? And I think we need an answer from the province on that because you're right. You know, Brantford's going to be having, getting the same push, uh, you know, Sudbury all over the province. And, you know, some people are concerned that if we uh, put a moratorium on them, we're going to miss this opportunity. And, uh, but I think it's critical that we get it right and that we cons- consult with the federal and provincial regulators, get their regulations, consult with other municipalities, consult with other provinces, because I, I, I believe there's other provinces that have this too, not sure, but it, certainly U.S. states, to find out what they're doing with prime agricultural land, because we're blessed with it here in southern Ontario. So, th- and, and therein lies the problem. And by the way, I, I, I've got a couple of emails from people saying, well, this is just because council has this bias against pot. Uh, I, I would suggest that's not the case at all, because the, 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 the comments I've heard from many of your colleagues on Council Lloyd is, yeah, we want these people to come in here. This is big business. They're going to come in here. They're going to start up businesses. They're going to pay taxes here. We just want to make sure that they don't overrun the place. That's all. And, and that's exactly my feelings. They're also going to employ people, and, and that's important. But just do it in the right locations. Uh, I just have trouble with covering up a, a rural farmland with these uh, you know, the Green Belt has forced people to move back into urban centers and, and we're expanding up and not out anymore. I think it's had a good impact on preserving agricultural land and we shouldn't let it slip away in this one. You know, I don't give a hoot about pot. I've never used it, never intend to use it. However, if it's legalized, you know, Bob's your uncle. But we just got to get it right on, on, on where we grow this thing. Is there a possibility that if you kick this down the road any further, I mean, it's going to wait a month as it is, that this could be an opportunity lost? Um, not really, because I don't think anything's going to happen in a month anyway. Uh, this, this, at the rezoning process uh, in any municipality is six to twelve months, um, and and there's no applications in yet. They're just coming visiting the local ward councillors to get their reaction to the thought, because they want to make prudent investments, which is just a good business thing to do, and and so. Um, uh, but we just want to, I want to get it right, and I want staff to do their due diligence. You know, the police are desperately waiting for the legislation on this and, and to know what the new rules are on, on, on the marijuana dispensaries. And then we need the same thing for where they grow this product. Absolutely. Uh, Ancaster Councillor Lloyd Ferguson. Uh, Lloyd, uh, keep us posted as to what's going on. I appreciate the time today. Anytime, Bill. Take care. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Well, as you heard earlier this morning on uh, 900 CHML, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are partnering with Interflow House of uh, Hamilton's Mentor Action Campaign. Uh, the campaign is called Be More Than a Bystander, uh, which is to increase awareness and understanding about the impact of violence against women. It also speaks about uh, demeaning and inappropriate behavior. 
uh, very timely, I guess, in spite of uh, in special inclusive of uh, what's going on with Weinstein and a number of other stories that we've been covering on the program. Here to talk about the announcement, though, and the impact uh, are uh, Nancy Smith uh, from Interval House. Great to see you again, Nancy. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Bill. And Matt Afanek, who is the Executive Vice President of Corporate Affairs for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Matt, good to have you with us again here today, too. Thank you very much, Bill. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, talk, uh, Nancy, we'll start with you, about how this uh, this partnership uh, came to, to be with this, this aspect of it, anyway. Well, we have certainly been in discussions with Hamilton Tiger Cats for just over more than a year. And uh, as you know, Bill, we partnered with uh, Hamilton Bulldogs and launched our Be More Than a Bystander program with them last uh, fall. You announced it right and here in the studio. We and certainly did. And McMaster Athletics are on board. And uh, with our discussions for quite some time with Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, you know, we have been, you know, really thrilled to certainly have the conversation open up and, and you know, be a long-standing discussion and really wanted to um, showcase the partnership with the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, very specifically in our community because they hold uh, such a large fan base that includes both women, girls, um, that, uh, you know, today's the day. So we're happy to have them a part of the Be More Than a Bystander program. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, how this came about, Matt. And and you know as well as I do that there's going to be some criticism when, uh, about the timing on this whole thing right now. And I want to talk about that. Let's let's put that on the table and talk about this. Uh, why so late coming to the party? Why weren't you on board a year ago? Well, I think it's a fair question, Bill. I think... Uh like any decision we make in our business, we're prudent uh, about the path we take forward. And, and, and a lot of great partnerships take some time uh, to evolve, develop, and find your right niche uh, to participate within. Uh, you know, Nancy references about the last year and a bit uh, that we've been in discussions, and those have been very positive discussions. In that same time period, we've launched uh, two other core community programs in our business. Um, they were the focus at that time, but that never meant... Uh, anything more than continuing the dialogue with Nancy and her team and finding the right time, uh, the appropriate time, uh, to announce this partnership, and we we think that is now. I, and listen, I, I I get that, and I want to put this in context, okay? Because I mean, I, I googled uh, the community events that the Tiger Cats and the community partnerships. They, it's two pages long, I mean, and that's probably not even all of them. Because you guys are out there, we get that. But this just seemed like a natural fit, and, and there was an awful lot of questioning at the time when Steve Stales was in here with the Bulldogs and Nancy. This is why aren't the Tiger Cats on board like this? Was there a, was there any reservation at the time? No, absolutely not. And and I think it's important to establish that as an organization, our mission statement as it relates to the work that we do in the community, which is incredibly important to us, uh, is always always has been rooted in supporting and promoting promoting healthy, active, and empowered youth. Uh, we have numerous initiatives, as you just referenced, Bill, that we do year-round to add value to kids and families in our community. Um, it was in our discussions with Nancy, frankly, that it became clear to us that this notion of empowerment uh, and empowerment amongst youth is, is not possible uh, if, a, if a child is subject to a, an abusive or violent environment. Um, and, and thus, the consistency with what we're trying to do on our overall community programming became clear to us. And, you know, as I said, it, uh, it, it, it was the right time for us to get in, engaged in a message that we've always felt has been important. On the same issue of, of timing, uh, the Art Broyles situation, and, and I guess the, the offshoot of that was, of course, the Johnny Manziel potential signing and the fact that they worked him out. Uh, both, of course, uh, have histories. Uh, Bryles, of course, with, with his college career, uh, and some of the things that went on there probably cost him his job in, in that particular circumstance. And Menzel, uh, I think, record is there. A uh, lot of pushback. And I don't. you're not on the football side. That was not your decision. I get that. And, but Scott's been on this program. Scott Mitchell's talked about why they did it, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not going to drag that out. But was that incident and the pushback from that the catalyst to try to make this partnership come together? I think it's a it's a very fair question, Bill, and I think the honest answer is it accelerated our decision making process, a process that, as we've alluded to, began well north of a year ago. But um, you know, I think what else it did was bring focus to the role and the leadership that we can play on what is a very uh, important topic in our community. And if if the outcome of what we went through a month ago as an organization, and that's really what, what it is as an organization, um, leads to something positive, we think that's a great thing. And I think what we've announced today, the partnership with Interval House, the commitment moving forward is a very positive thing. So if that's the outcome of what we dealt with, with the Art Bryle situation, then we think that's a good thing. 
Nancy, the day the Bryle story broke, and we covered it extensively here on CHML, of course, on our program and on Scott's show, and Scott Radley, of course, that, that evening, for a couple of days, really, because it seemed to be an ongoing saga. But you called me that day. I did. And said, what an excellent opportunity. I mean, you looked at this and said, you know, they weren't on site initially. You did say at the time, though, that, yes, there were discussions, but they had not actually signed on to this right now. Uh, but after you hung up the phone after talking to me that day, who called who? Who got this thing going? Well, we've uh, we have been in discussions uh, for some time, and and I just want to say all the players have been at the table all along, and uh, I know you can appreciate, Bill, that you know we can't leak news of something like this independent of the Hamilton Ticats. It had to be a joint uh, initiative. We also know that Tracy Porteous, who created the Be More Than a Bystander program from Eva BC. Uh, and the work with the BC Lions have done a phenomenal job. And we know the success of Be More Than a Bystander program in communities is pivotal to really reaching youth and men in our community that it's not okay. And it provides the tools to young men on how to safely intervene when women are being harmed um, so that we're not shying away from inappropriate texts or comments and women are being supported. And I and I think that, um, you know, our conversation Conversations have been ongoing. The commitment, certainly, of the Hamilton Tie Cat speaks for itself to their involvement with youth in our community. Women's services, for many, many years, historically, have been speaking to the issues, and it's a perfect fit. And now's the time to raise the awareness substantially in our community. Matt, let's talk a little bit about how this is actually going to work and how the Tiger Cats are going to be a part of this program. Yeah, and and, and I think. The most appropriate thing to do for the listeners, Bill, is to go to Interval House's website or the or TieCats.ca, mm-hmm. where they can learn. Uh, frankly, it's it's so comprehensive that it's probably difficult to explain in the amount of time we have here today. But there's really four pillars to this program. Uh, one is the the community awareness PSA campaign that uh, will include our players, and that's a key point. Our players, our alumni, Mike Morelli, uh, they're going to be the face of this for us. Courtney Stephen, Justin Vaughn, Terrell Davis, uh, they are the voices that will resonate most with most with the youth. Uh, that need to hear this message. So a PSA campaign, uh, we will make February 2018 in Hamilton Be More Than a Bystander Month, where we'll be executing in school programming. Uh, We'll be hosting a Be More Than a Bystander Day down at Tim Hortons Field uh, in the spring for thousands of Hamilton High School students. And we have a great core uh, program in our existing community platform um, of high school mentorship where we work with football players. Well, you guys have been doing that for years. I I know Courtney has done an awful lot of that. He's here all year long. He is. Uh, I don't know how he finds time to play football sometimes. He's doing some much stuff. I, so I get that. And he's yeah. a very articulate guy. So what's the message? What are these guys going to talk to these kids, the students about? Well, I think it's it's about the voice that they need to have to speak up on an issue and that it's not acceptable to be present in an environment um, where things are done or said that are uh, contrary to a positive message about men's relationship with women. And and I think, you know, I certainly defer to Nancy uh, and the team at uh, Mentor Action because our players will go through a very extensive training program uh, here, Bill, that will be undertaken over the course of the next couple months. Obviously, this is a uh, an important issue and making sure they're adequately trained and properly trained is, is at the core of the program. So, uh, you know, perhaps I'll kick it over to Nancy if yeah, she wants to continue here, that. Yeah, um, we know historically we've heard from women, you know, where they have experienced abuse in a relationship and, and we hear from guys who say, but I'm still a good dad. Well, good dads don't harm women, quite frankly. And I know that sounds quite short and glib, but it's 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 fundamentally uh, impactful on children's development when they are witness to moms being treated in an abusive and harmful way through words, gestures, actions, behaviors, whatever it might be. And, and this program really speaks to the importance of, you know, how one comment or one picture that's passed along that's inappropriate, that is demeaning to women, that is harmful to women or girls, is not okay. Um, it gives the tools for other kids who want to speak up and uh, to be able to do that uh, safely. And it also supports you know girls and women in getting the message out that uh, I'm here to support you. Uh, you have the right to be safe and treated equitably and respectfully, and we're not going to tolerate this. And we know that through the work of Mentor Action, and I have to commend the guys who are leaders in our community who aligned with us uh, several years ago, um, we know through the work they've done that celebrities also need to be included in that voice. And who better than the Hamilton Ticats who have such a large fan base in our community? Well, and 
I mean, I've gone on record, and I'll state it again here, Matt. I, contrary to how some people may be feeling about some of the things that are going on in sports these days, I, I think that athletes do have a platform, and I, mm-hmm. I applaud an athlete that has the courage to stand up and say, I'm going to take a stand on this issue. Uh, whether it's violence against blacks, violence against women, any number of things like that. How they do it is, is something that can be debated, but the fact that they're doing it, I think, is courageous. Uh, it's, it's one thing to, to, you know, to, to simply say, well, I'm, uh, that's not my thing. Uh, if you're part of the community, it has to be part of your thing. And uh, that's why this looks like such a natural relationship for the Tiger Cats to take part in that, because they are community-oriented groups. Uh, and, and the guys that you've, you've signaled out here are going to do this, and I assume there's going to be others on, in the team as well, uh, I, I think are going to be good spokespeople for this to try to get this done. Uh, is there a concern then that uh, that if you're going to do something like this, that there's going to be pushback saying you're just you're football players, you shouldn't be getting involved in something controversial like this? Um, I don't think so because I think at the core of what we do, it's about servicing the community that supports us, and and I also think what's consistent within that. Um, is what you don't know. Surround yourself with people who do. And I, I can't think of having a better partner uh, than Nancy and the Interval House of Hamilton team, the Mentor Action team, to bring our players up to speed because you, you nailed it. They're high-level, elite, professional athletes who play football, who have a platform and are willing to take a leadership position on an important issue. But we are surrounding ourselves uh, with, with professionals and experts that will bring them up to speed with regards to a training protocol that will make them um, as qualified and professional to speak to this as they are as football players. And, and Nancy, you've talked about how the program rolls out and how it's worked in BC so effectively and, and, uh, and, and how these folks and now the Tiger Cats, as, as the Bulldogs have done, are, are going to be a community spokespeople for this too. And it's not just, hey, don't tell sexist jokes. It's Facebook posts, it's on Twitter, it's Instagram pictures, it's a number of different things that you're right, heretofore, some of the people that are actually doing this might have thought, well, I didn't really think it was sexist. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it, it takes an, a, a courageous athlete to stand up and say, I'm going to be a spokesperson. I'm going to tell you what you can and can't do or shouldn't shouldn't do. Absolutely. It's, it takes the courage of anyone to stand up and speak out about it, right? That it's not okay. You know, Hamilton really took a stand and said, you know, we want to be more than a bystander here, and we're drawing a line in the sand. We don't want this in our community. And I applauded our Hamilton community for, you know, sending that message out quite clearly. Uh, women have the courage every day to come forward to women's organizations to you know, disclose and talk about what's happened to them. Um, and, you know, to have the voice of our athletes with Hamilton Tie Cats aligning with that message uh, is so impactful on raising awareness in our community that there is no more room for harmful comments, behaviors, words, and actions in our community, in our homes, for women and girls to be treated this way, and we will not tolerate it. Timing on this is interesting. Uh, I, I mean, from a, a, a big-picture situation, I don't know if you're aware but uh, going through my archives as I was getting ready for the show today, it was on this day, I think in 85, 84, 85, uh, that, uh, that Anita Hill came forward and talked about sexual harassment uh, against uh, Judge Thomas uh, during the interview, uh, which really opened up that discussion and I think pushed it into the forefront. Uh, so that's an anniversary of note, uh, and it must be rather sad, I think, for those of you in this community, like yourself, Nancy, and, and so many others, that have been fighting against this for the longest time, to see it almost spiraling out of control here in, in 2017. You'd think we would have had a handle on this and tried to do this. It seems to be spiraling the other way, with especially some of the events that have happened in the news in the last couple of days. And I applaud the women who have come forward. There are many women who are not famous and not well-known out there uh, who, you know, have gone unnoticed for so many years. Um, and, you know, I applaud the women for coming more and more to the forefront to say, this happened to me, and it's intolerable. You know, we heard that with Gameshi, we heard that with Bill Cosby, we heard that with Weinstein most recently, and, you know, although those women are very famous, I applaud them for using their platform to uh, share their disclosure of their experiences, but I want to recognize the courage of many women whose names are unknown, but known to women's communities, and, and, and known to their partner, who is treating them in this way. Well, and let's face it, as you and I have talked about in the past, uh, to, to empower those women to, to be forceful enough to come forward and, uh, and do something about their circumstance or talk about their situation, they have to know that there's going to be community support. Uh, because oftentimes uh, when they try to do this, they, they feel very much alone, and that, that can be somewhat problematic. So uh, the stronger this program gets, uh, the more I think we give them the opportunity to, to do what needs to be done. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we, we, we need to provide that platform and we need to validate their experience, not shut them down. And, you know, this program and the, with the voices of men can only empower women, hopefully further, to come forward to women's organizations, uh, to men in our community to step in and take a stand and say, hey, you don't get to do that. You know, we are more likely to intervene when we see a child being harmed or we see a pet being uh, mistreated and less likely to jump in when it's adult women being harmed by adult men because we often put it under, he's just joking, it's not my business. This program, uh, again, accelerates that message that it's not okay and we all have a responsibility to step in, to stand up and speak out in support of uh, equitable, respectful, uh, healthy uh, relationships. It's an opportunity as well as, as kind of a, a side issue, Matt, but uh, I, I know that when the, the discussion and the controversy started about some of the, the comments Trump made last year about some of his uh, his language about grabbing women, etc., he says, that's oh, just locker room language. And I talked to a number of, of ex-Tiger Cats, guys that you know, that said, that's not what we talk about in the locker room. That's 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 putting football players and athletes in the same category as the people that talk like that. And and I know many of the former players, and Mike Morielli is just an outstanding choice, I guess, to kind of take the lead on this. Uh, smart, articulate guy, local guy, knows everything about what's going on in this community. But the guys like Simone and Courtney and so many others like this that are speaking out on issues like this, this seems like a good fit for, the, for you to put those guys forward now. Yeah, and I, and I think... Like anything, society typecasting people for what they do versus who they are is always a slippery slope. Um, you know, my experience uh, in our organizational experience working with these um, athletes is, is frankly nothing short of spectacular, Bill. One of the great moments you can have, and I look forward to getting out into a school um, to see our players execute to be more than a bystander uh, campaign. But uh, to, the, to this point, one of the great moments you can have is go up to the McMaster Children's Hospital. And, and our players don't celebrate their roles there or they don't use it for any other platform, then they genuinely believe that they can make an impact in these children's lives that are, are going through difficult times, whatever those times are, to bring them to the hospital. And, and I think that reveals their character. Um, it reveals the type of people they are. And, and we as an organization are entirely uh, confident that, that that will translate to this next platform in our community engagement uh, around Be More Than a Bystander. Nancy, Matt had talked about uh, once these guys, Courtney and, and, and the others, are going to be involved in this program, that there's, there obviously has to be some training uh, to get on message about this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they already know the message, but, but to heart, how to articulate that to students. Uh, is, is there a program set up that will, that will actually encompass that so that they, they can go in there and feel confident they're all on the same page? So through uh, Tracy Porteous and uh, Eva BC, she will coordinate with the BC line to come out and do some training specifically on the Be More Than a Bystander program. Jamie Tarras last year came out and did that with Hamilton Bulldogs, and I believe we're looking at him coming back to do the training with our Hamilton Ticats. It is specific training uh, that is needed before we go out into the community because we want to make sure that the message is impactful and consistent with the program uh, objectives. And uh, you, my, I know, Matt, you talked about a number of events that are going to be going on, and, and uh, I don't want people to get the impression that, hey, well, we're not going to do anything more about this until 2018. You talked about some events, but this, this I guess, gets going today, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. And, and, and uh, you know, we arrived at today, Bill, after much consideration and great consideration, because while we, in, in the BC Lions, you know, Nancy's uh, referenced Eva BC, and, and, and I think it's worth noting uh, the leadership position taken by our partners in the Canadian Football League at the BC Lions, who uh, who really have paved the, the the path forward on how to do this well and do this right, uh, and we look forward to following that path and learning from them. But uh, in our interactions with Nancy and Val and the team um, since this most recent part of the dialogue commenced, was about putting our own Hamilton spin on this. And and while there's consistent elements to our program and what's been done in BC and to a certain degree in Winnipeg, there's very much a Hamilton flavor to this activity. So, um, you know, our community relations group headed by Kevin Matchett will do a spectacular job rolling this out uh, and it will take some time relative to to building up to those events. But what's important to note is it does start with this training protocol. So uh, with regards to the players, they're they're a bit busy these days, but uh, as soon as they have a little bit more free time, that, that extensive training protocol 
that Nancy has referenced will commence. And, and again, February is actually not really that far away. And that's where the community, uh, excuse me, the school visits uh, will start in February. So if you back it up, it's actually closer than you think. I got a couple of seconds left here, but I, I can't help but notice that in, I think in many ways, the Canadian Football League is actually ahead of the curve of, of a lot of other professional sports organizations uh, since Randy Ambrosi came on as the commissioner to be active in, in things like this. Uh, uh, don't be a bystander campaigns, uh, violence against women campaigns, the t-shirt campaign that, that initiated just after he took over. This this is a guy that seems to think, look, at you guys aren't just going to be players on the field. You're going to be part of this community. It's always been there, but he's really coordinated that. Yeah, sorry, Nance, to jump in, but uh, no, no question our, our new commissioner deserves a ton of praise for his leadership in a very short period of time, but so do our member clubs, Bill, because they're the ones actually active in their respective communities and um, all have a defined community mission as we do here at the Tiger Cats, uh, but the clubs themselves deserve a ton of praise for that as well because they're the ones uh, on the ground in the markets doing the work regardless of what uh, the topic or, or matter at hand is. All right, we're running late now, but that's what I do on this program from time to time. Nancy, if they want to get more details about this partnership and about the program, they go to your webpage? Absolutely, they can. And I also just want to do a shout-out for an upcoming event we have on the Fall Masquerade Ball sure, sure. that Hamilton uh, Sheridan Hotel uh, approached us on uh, to put on for us, and it's October 26th. Tickets are $80. Uh, it's a fun-filled uh packed evening and it includes a fashion show like no other and i really encourage uh everyone to come on out and buy a ticket and be a part of the event all right all that's on the web page as well nancy yes. thanks so much for being here today uh, nancy smith uh from interval house matt great to see you again thanks so much good luck friday night against calgary uh, matt Affanak, of course vice president of corporate services for the Thai cats you're listening to the bill kelly show weekdays from nine to noon on am 900 chml much has been said and, and written and talked, of course, about the tragic events of, in Las Vegas almost two weeks ago now, and the investigation continues, and there are new, some new twists in that, as a matter of fact, about timelines and what actually may have happened in that hotel and when it happened and, and how police responded to it. Uh, and that will roll out, of course, in, in the passage of time. But what about the city itself? I mean, this is a city that on, on, on a daily basis has an influx of, of, of tens of thousands of people from all over the world that come to Vegas. And then, of course, there's the people who live there and who work there. How are they responding? How are they getting by on a daily basis after something like this happens? Well, I'm going to bring a Hamiltonian into the conversation to talk about this. Vito Scrooge has been a guest on our show many times as before. Of course, he is a, a partner at CBM Chartered Accountants here in Hamilton. Uh, and spends a, a lot of time down in Vegas. He has some business interests down there, and he's uh, there and has been there for the last uh, few days, actually, uh, watching and observing. And he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Vito, thank you for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I just heard the last hour. That was a fascinating discussion. That was great. Yeah, well, we, we love touching on issues like this, and, and I know that you've been pretty vocal about this, too. When you get back into Hamilton, we'll have to have a discussion about that and see uh, just where you guys are on this issue. But let me let me ask you about Vegas. And I, I mentioned in the preamble that, sure. that you spent a lot of time there in the last number of years, and, and you love the city, of course, and what's not to love. And, and you're, you're more than just, hey, this is the Strip. I mean, you know the city quite well. You know the people there quite well. Uh, it, it would be a ridiculous question to say, gee, how did they respond when this one happened? But I guess the more important question is, how are they getting back on their feet? How are they dealing on a daily basis with this tragedy, And as, as you see and talk to the people in that community? Well, actually, that would have been a very good question, because uh, as, as you know, I have a place down here. I spend a lot of time down here. I'm nowhere near the Strip. I'm about 10 miles away from it. I am looking at the beautiful Red Rock Mountains right now over palm trees and the sunny blue sky. And when I got here 10 days ago, it was the mood was not good. There was an eeriness. Now, I landed at midnight, and I never go through the strip. I take the highway that bypasses it. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I'm going to drive by. And actually, that, that, that festival grounds is exactly today the same as it was that horrible night. The, the stage is still up, is it? The stage, the tents, everything is exactly the same. They put police barricades behind there with the police crime scene tapes. They put a tarp up so you can't gawk in there. But there are people looking, I guess, for evidence or whatever it is that police Oh, yeah, do, the investigation is ongoing. There. Oh, sure. So uh, usually it takes me about 45 minutes to drive up the Strip, if you know Vegas. doesn't matter if it's 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, doesn't matter. It took me 10 minutes, which has never, ever, ever happened. Every neon pixel sign uh, attached to the hotels had two words on it, Vegas Strong, and that was it. So I uh, talked to a friend who um, I let her use. I, I'm a season ticket holder for Las Vegas Golden Knights, and I'll mm-hmm. tell you about that shortly. Yeah, I want to, I want to talk about but, that game, yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, she used my tickets uh, for the last preseason game that night. She left at about the same time, heard commotion. Thank God she was driving the other way, didn't really know what was going on, and found out at home. Now, this is what I'm not sure people at home realize. Down here, they didn't know what was going on. All they kept hearing is there's mass shootings. They were told hundreds are dead, hundreds if not thousands are injured. And the big problem was they didn't have ambulances, enough you know, ambulances. People got in their cars not knowing what was going on, how many shooters, you know, whatever, and drove down to drive people to the hospitals. They went into a scene that could have been, for all they know, multiple shooters. They went in there with their pickups. Most of the people that got to the hospital, or many of them, got there by some person picking them up, literally. So that was the first response of the people of Boston. And, and you this see, that's a, a story that thing. a lot of people are not even aware of, that, that because of this, and, and you know, Vito, we've had the discussion here in Hamilton right. about code zeros. In other words, no ambulances available. Imagine this. There were hundreds and, well, over 500 people that were either killed or, or wounded uh, in this attack. Right. Uh, clearly, there aren't going to be enough ambulances. And, and actual ordinary citizens got in their vehicles. Right. They, they drove downtown and said, you've been wounded. Get in the car. I'll take you to the hospital. Well, people showed up. You could see it on the news. They were literally picked up off the ground or half a block away. They were shot in the leg and trying to crawl to a hospital. Picked up, put in the back of a truck, and taken to whatever hospital. And don't forget, a lot of these people are from out of town. They didn't yeah. even know where the hospitals were. Sure, sure. They were just running for their lives. So these people saved a lot of lives. A lot of That was the first response of the people of this great area. Afterwards, um, they needed blood, as you can imagine. Uh, blood donor clinics popped up everywhere, and they were 10, 15 blocks long all across the city. People just kept showing up. To this day, they're still showing up. Another thing is that they have a GoFundMe because, unfortunately, as you know, uh, the, the medical bills are horrendous uh, down here for these people. They've raised $11 million in 10 days so far, and that's just people dropping a dollar in a, in a bucket at the grocery store or, you know, things like that. So. I have seen the best of America this last 10 days, without a doubt. The healthcare, doubt. The healthcare debate rages down there, Vito, and, and I don't want to get into the minutiae of that right now, but uh, the fact right. is that you've seen this. And I mean, if you, if you need medical attention, and obviously in a case like this, uh, they'll fix you up, but then they do present you with a bill uh, at some point in the future massive, during your recovery. massive bill. And, and we saw sure, that happen sure. with the, the Boston bombing, of course, the Marathon bombing a few years ago. Uh, some of those right. stories are remarkable, but those people got stuck oftentimes with huge, huge bills. Uh, and this is sure. catastrophic as well. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this, this rolls out. But what the good news part of this, obviously, is the way that the, the community has rallied. And this GoFundMe campaign, I mean, this has exceeded any expectation of what people thought they were going to be able to raise. $11 million, uh, 89,000 separate contributions. Again, you go fill up your car, there's a, a bucket. You, you go to the grocery store, you go wherever. There's something there, and they're, they're teeming with bills. So this, this, it's, I'm in Clark County. Clark County, people think it's all Las Vegas. It's Las Vegas, North Las Vegas, Henderson, Paradise, and Spring Valley. I don't know if people know this. The Strip is not in Las Vegas. It's in the unincorporated town of Paradise. So when you say Las Vegas, it's really Clark County. There's 2 million people here. And the nice, more nicer people you're never going to meet, Bill. Unfortunately, there's a, a bad part. And I saw that when I was involved in the election in November. Mm-hmm. This, this country has got issues. I saw the worst in November. I saw the very best this last week. You, you talked to the people in the community, and you, you said, obviously, you've been down in the downtown core right near the Mandalay Bay Hotel uh, as, right. as that's happening. Uh, the windows that have been were broken out have been repaired and replaced. We get that. They have. The stage is they still have. there because it's a crime scene, and, and that investigation is going to be ongoing for quite some time. Uh, how how are people reacting? I mean, clearly there are people that are going to go there and it's, uh, they want to see it. It's it's the same thing as, and I know it sounds a little morbid, but just after the World Trade Center collapsed, I mean, there were people that, that you wanted to see what was going on. It wasn't because of any morbid fascination, really. It was just a, almost it was a, a moment of visiting a, 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 a catastrophic or a tragic scene. You just wanted to, to, to be there with your thoughts on that. Is that happening, too? Do you see people well, just stopping yeah, and pausing there? Well, what's happening is there's makeshift memorials all around the area. Uh-huh. If you drive in on Las Vegas Boulevard, you're coming and you see their movies all the time. You see that big sign, Welcome to Fabulous Las Vegas. Well, they put a little park there where you can stop your car and take a picture. There are, there are huge amounts of flowers and a big, giant Vegas Strong sign right behind it. That, which is about a mile from where this happened, all the way to that scene are just a massive row of flowers. 
people are respectful, which kind of shocked me a little bit. I'm, I'm happily shocked because I thought there would be more of that other type you're saying, but no, people are respectful. They're cognizant of what happened. Now, the people here who live here, they're shaken. Um, uh, that friend I told you about, for three or four days, she just was not the same. Uh, she, was above, she was at the arena, which is a, very close to where this happened. So if you're at the 900CHML, the shooting would have been close to Westdale Village. That's the distance. That so it close. It wasn't very far at all. Wow. It was that close. So you had 18,000 people at the arena going into that area to go home. So it, it, it was bad. It was awful. It could have been a lot worse, too. Have you talked to anybody who was actually in the area when it, when it occurred? I mean, that, that had to be one of the most terrific things anybody could ever imagine experiencing. The, the, the sound of the gunfire. We, we've heard it. We've heard it, of course, with some of the 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 phone. Yeah, I mean, we've seen videos, of course, phone videos that set from people who were there, uh, and you can hear the rapid gunfire going off and the and the yelling and the screaming and the chaos that went on down there. Uh, well, what about what about looking after those people, Vito? How's the city emergency services and other agencies helping those? I mean, uh, some people, I'm sure, just need somebody to talk to at this stage. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, because interestingly enough, um, you get a lot of commercials down here with lawyers, and you, you've seen those when you're down here. Sure. They're, they're actually kind of, yeah. You had clinics, doctors, psychiatrists, they've come on and said, look, if you need to talk to us, there's, there's no charges, we'll be free of charge, please call. I've seen six or seven different types of ads like that, where people just go to these people, and, and you know they're, they're given free care, I guess is what you call it. Clark County did the same thing with their medical department. Um, the care is good. Uh, they are trying. Uh, people are trying. It, it's, it's incredible the generosity of the people here. It's, 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 it's maddening to understand how they can, I can see what I saw in November and what I saw this week. It is, it is incredibly different, and you're really confused by it. Last November was ugly, like I've never seen neighbor versus neighbor, this was everybody giving a helping hand. It's like, you know what, that stuff is not important right now, and everyone is kind and, and polite and says hi to you, and it's, it's just a different situation. It's unfortunate that it took this to get to where we are now, but it is something to see. There is an important story to do about, uh, you mentioned the hockey game, and you're, you're a season ticket holder for the new Las Vegas team right. uh, since you're down there an awful lot. Uh, they played their right. first regular season home game uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, this is a brand right. new organization. Uh, this was their first mm-hmm. home game. There's probably a lot of things they could have done uh, to to celebrate that, but they made this a very special evening for for the people of Las Vegas, didn't they? Well, well, the big the thing they were going to do uh, on Tuesday night, they're going to do tomorrow night against Detroit. They they completely revamped their 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 opening ceremony, as you would imagine. That must take something. They took all the advertising off the boards, which is a lot of money, as you know. And just, again, with two words, Vegas strong all the way around. Outside, they had first responders. Um, it, was, it was a happy event, but, you know, it, it was, you had a bit of somberness there. Now, you still knew you were in Vegas. I'm going in the arena, and I've got the Blue Man Group and Carrot Top next to me. And, I mean, it's still kind of surreal. <laughs> but uh, but that, that's Vegas, yeah. It, well, it's Vegas. So you go in the arena, and you knew something was going to happen before the, the dropping of the puck. So they, uh, just before the game time, they had uh, red carpets come out, two, one at center ice, one at the end. And they called out a first responder, a doctor, a policeman, a nurse, uh, whoever, called them out with a hockey player. They walked out together. The first responder stayed on the red carpet, the, the, the Vegas Golden Knight hockey player behind them. They did that for the whole team. Then Arizona came out and stood behind the Vegas Golden Knights, like, we're behind you. So what they did after that was powerful and very uh, emotional. They, um, they said, we want 58 seconds of silence, please, for each person who was lost. And as an, a building of 18,000, I didn't hear a pin drop. I've never been in a building that big and didn't hear a thing. They also had the lights on the ice. I don't know how they do that with the names of everybody who passed away. Again, you can YouTube this. You've got to see this. You've just got to see this. They did the national anthem, and then after that, uh, the National Anthem actually was done by people who were at that concert, um, some of the performers, and the puck was dropped by, by one of the survivors and, and his son. It was really, really moving. Then the game got going, and I don't know if you saw the game. The Golden Knights were like, you know, Team Canada, 72. They scored four goals in 10 minutes, and the place just went nuts. It was something to see. 
you're never going to get over this. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to people that were at Boston during the marathon bombing, and that was, you know, there's another movie about it now with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Of course, that's up in these days, but but people are still talking about that. Uh, the Boston Strong campaign started as a result of that, uh, and we've seen that happen. Uh, this community in Las Vegas is is never going to forget this. It's going to have an impact on everybody right now. But but do you get the sense that there's a desire to try to move on right now, or are they still in that that period of of that mindset of saying i can't believe this actually happened in my city um i would say there's a little of both there's there's still a little i would say i hate to use the term it's a, a freaked out they are there's no doubt but there is a resiliency that you know we move on um we're they're not going to let us stop the way we live that's basically the the attitude here um then of course um depending on what cable show you watch, that the, the gun control issue comes up and it gets back into that nastiness all over again. But for 10 days, it was nice. that just People were just helping each other. That's all you saw here. This, this community really rallied. It was something to see, Bill. And, um, I knew that this town was a lot more than the Strip, and trust me, one mile either side of the Strip, it's a different world. It's nothing like what you see in the movies, like The Hangover or anything. That's a very, very, very small part. They've got a, a downtown coming back. Uh, they've got an area called the Art District, which reminds me of James Street North. I mean, it's almost exactly the same in look, the type of restaurants and everything. So there's people who move here. They're making it their home. This is their home. Uh, they work here. They live here. They, they raise a family here. This is their home. It's uh, it's remarkable to see the resilience of, and, and the way that people have rallied around each other and to do this sort of thing. Uh, because, I mean, you know, they talk about New York City as the city that never sleeps. I mean, you, you spend a lot of time in Vegas. I mean, uh, you're going up and down the strip there by some of those major hotels, the Wynn Hotels. It's, uh, I mean, whether it's 2 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon, it's just I don't think the crowd gets any smaller. Uh, and, and uh, No, they don't. They don't. And, and I don't get the sense that anybody's saying, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to congregate anymore. They're doing that. It's almost a, 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 a flipping their nose at, at, at those that would perpetrate these deeds and saying, you're not going to t- tell us to change our lives. We're not going to do that. <laughs> it's funny you said that. Uh, the former mayor, Oscar Goodman, uh, he was actually played himself in the movie Casino. Uh, he was a very famous uh, organized crime lawyer here. And, of course, they meet him here, mayor here in Las Vegas. He was on the air, and his wife currently is the mayor. He had a, his, his martini in the restaurant he always goes to and says that SOB is not going to change my life. I drink to Vegas, you know, something like that. Please come down. They're, they're, they're going, trying to go back to what it was uh, in terms of, you know, we're going to have fun. We're not going to let anybody ruin our lives here. So you're right on that point. Vito, thanks uh, so much for the time to give us that perspective, and, and I really appreciate uh, the email that you fired off me the other day to just because I wasn't even sure that you were down there yet, and we wanted to get that perspective on, on how the city is recovering and how they're moving on. I uh, really appreciate this, and uh, when you get back in here, we'll get, you, we'll, we'll get you up here to talk about LRT, but let's uh, we'll consider Vegas for now. <laughs> I think I'll stay in Vegas then, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad idea. Thanks, Vito. Vito, okay, Vito Scrow, of course, uh, partner in CBM Chartered Accountants here in Hamilton. He's uh, down in Vegas, uh, has been on business, and uh, knows the people, knows the city, and uh, continues to be amazed, as are we, about uh, how the people of Vegas have rallied around each other to deal with that terrible, terrible incident. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.